0: Welcome to More Than a Sign, where we talk to some of Milwaukee's most productive realtors, up-and-coming realtors, and those that work alongside us. However, rather than being a platform for shameful self-promotion, these are intimate discussions about the journey, the struggle, the fear, and ultimately, the personal growth along the way. At the end of the day, nobody really cares what we do. All that really matters is who we are. Today, we're going to learn who two people are. Lindsay Fatala and Betsy Wong-Williamson. Why would I have two um, people together in one interview? You'll find out. Before we do, let me tell you a few things about both of them. Both Lindsay and Betsy um, have law degrees, which I find super interesting and would like to hear how that changes the way they look at things, how it changes the way they represent their clients, etc., Lindsay, over the last few months, has had a million and a half dollar deal, eight hundred thousand dollar deal, seven hundred thousand dollar deal. I mean, you're really off to the races, and most people don't get into the business at that level. Betsy also, um, you know, is off to a uh, phenomenal, building a phenomenal business. This year, you're on track to do $10 million in sales, which is incredible. That puts you in the upper couple percent of everybody in the business. No disrespect intended to either of you, but who really cares about that? Let's talk about Lindsay and Betsy. I found out earlier two sorority mates, right? Sisters, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) sisters, I'm sorry.
1: Around 2000s. Right.
0: So we'll just kind of bounce back and forth, and let's talk a little bit about early on in life. So, why don't we start with you, Betsy, and let's talk about your childhood, your family's business, kind of just high level.
2: Sure. So, I grew up in Wauwatosa. I am one of five kids. I am the second oldest. I have an older brother, two younger brothers, and a younger sister. And amazing childhood, loved living in Tosa. I think that's where my love for houses started. Um, The house that we grew up in was always the house that every kid in the neighborhood was at. My mom loved to throw parties and I come from a huge family, so tons of parties in our house and just kind of where I learned how important and special a house can be to, I mean, really all of our events that shaped us around that house. As far as growing up, my dad and his cousin founded Wong's Walk. So anybody who is familiar with that from growing up in Milwaukee, it's um, like a fast food Chinese restaurant before the bigger chains came
0: in. Hugely entrepreneurial. I mean, yes. ahead of all the, the Chipotles and q was all yeah. the fast casual. There mm-hmm. was basically... The crappy it was, fast food, and yeah. there was Wong's Walk, right. which yeah, brought...
2: And the food was actually good, mm-hmm. if anybody's ever had it. So that was my first job growing up. Um, I worked at Summerfest, and then I got free entrance to Summerfest and into all the concerts because I worked there. And yeah, I grew up with a very entrepreneurial dad, and I definitely caught that entrepreneurial
0: spirit. Cool. We'll come back to some of the other things that you've done along the way. How about you, Lindsay?
1: Yeah. So I actually, I grew up in Wausau, Wisconsin. Um, So central Wisconsin. And um, I was the oldest of three kids, a younger brother and a younger sister. Um, My dad was an airline pilot, uh, which is kind of an interesting career. He was, you know, gone for a long period of time and then home 100% with us for the other time. Uh, My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And um I actually, I started working when I was 14. I worked at a grocery store bakery, and then I've had jobs ever since I was 14. So kind of a hustler. I like to work. Um I really enjoyed owning, earning money at that point um in my life and just kind of kept uh building from that and, and getting new jobs that I liked and, and kind of pursuing my career.
0: Mm-hmm. As a young woman, did you... No, you wanted to be an attorney from a young age.
1: I actually did. Yeah, I, I that was always my dream and my dream job. And I think somewhere along the way, someone said that was a prestigious job. That was a good job, and you know that's kind of what I went for in in college
2: and and made it happen. Sure.
0: So. How about you, Betsy?
2: Ooh, no, I never knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> okay. Um, I, as I mentioned, I come from a big family and. Pretty much all of my aunts and uncles are attorneys, and my grandpa was an attorney. And I like took the LSAT, and that went okay. So I was like, well, who doesn't want (laughs) $100,000 of student loan debt? Let's go for Mm -hmm. it. So I essentially did a victory lap at Madison and enjoyed law school, but didn't actually end up loving being an attorney. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I would think that. It's kind of a fork in the road, right? Once you get into the working world, like every career, Mm -hmm. you know, you, it's a shame when people get into something and they stick with something they don't love. So let's just talk for a minute about you being sorority sisters, what that was like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah because it's very ironic, right? that you It is. You it was great. Yeah, we followed a similar path.
1: Yeah, I have great memories of Madison. It was like one of the best times in my life. It was so fun and yeah, just all positive memories for me and um we always liked each other and, and knew each other and have a lot of the the same mutual friends.
0: Nice. Same, right? Same, for sure. Okay. So, did you go right from uh, I'm sorry, I should yeah, say Yeah, I went straight right through
1: th- right from undergrad to law school and um didn't skip a beat and just kind of continued my my Madison experience and it was great, very positive for me. And I actually met my husband in law school, so that was fun. We kind of hit it off second year and we're dating and we've been married 14 years now. So that's also a kind of special Madison piece for me as well.
0: Yeah. Great environment, Madison.
1: Oh, it's the best. Yeah. I hope one of my kids will go there. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So let's start with you, Lindsay. So you go through law school. What happens after law school?
1: Yeah, so right after law school, I got a job with Godfrey and Kahn, which is one of the largest law firms in the state. Great job, you know, for any law student coming out of law school. It was very positive. I was proud of it, and it was a great experience. I was there for seven and a half years. You know, starting out as a lawyer is is hard. It's there's a huge learning curve. You don't learn everything. That you need to know about contracting and and things like that. So on the job training is big. So you know we were debating the use of and or or commas and, I mean it was very intellectual and and a high high learning curve. That's all I can you know really compare that to. But it was great. I learned a lot and you know by the end of that seven and a half years had a really good skill set, and then I was able to take that.
0: Can I pause you? Absolutely, right yeah. For one second. So one of the things that you and I talked about over coffee is that when Godfrey and Kahn was created, it was really one of the very few, if not the only entrepreneurial law firm in Milwaukee. Absolutely. So, whereas most of the law firms kind of forbade their attorneys to get involved in deals, lots of Godfrey and Kahn attorneys were in deals. And one of the conversations we had is, might that have been some of the seeds that were planted for you to get into real estate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've actually thought about that comment a lot after you after you mentioned that to me. And um, someone at, at G&K one time told me, like, you'll never just get rich being a lawyer. You got to have something else. And there are amazing success stories with attorneys there who invested with clients early on, kind of during that period when not a lot of people were doing it. And I, I think for sure that contributed to some of my entrepreneurial right. goals.
0: Nice. Um, your path. Oh, I'm sorry. So then you left. Yeah, God, the, the law
1: the law school or the law career continues. So then um, I was able to work with MWH Law Group. Um, I was one of the founding partners of that that law firm, which is now the largest minority law firm in the state of Wisconsin. And we're really big on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really pioneers in the industry and in setting an example for what for what law, law firms can aspire to. Um, It's been really positive and rewarding and to kind of affect that change at the law firm level. So that was my next stop after G&K.
0: Great. Okay, Betsy. So you graduate law school and then take us from there.
2: Then um, I moved to San Diego and I was working at a law firm in San Diego in business development. Then moved with that firm to Chicago. And then switched to Jenner and Black in Chicago, um, working in business development there. I didn't love it mm. and was living in Old Town. I started going to a fitness studio called The Barcode um, right near my apartment in Old Town and loved it <laughs> and as just something to do to kind of keep my mind off of my real job, I started working as an instructor there and then found out that they were franchising. I'd always planned to move back to Milwaukee, but uh, when I found out that they were franchising and I knew that Milwaukee didn't have anything like it yet... I decided it was time for me to move back, and I opened my franchise of The Barcode in the Third Ward on Water Street in 2013, hmm. and then I opened a second studio in 2015, so it'll be nine years coming up that will have been open in the Third Ward in December. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But I did, side note, um, sell the business at the end of last year. So as of 2022, I'm no longer an owner. I just am an instructor, Mm. which is wonderful. And it gives me the time to focus 100% on real estate.
0: For those of us that don't know what Barcode is.
2: So it's a fitness studio. Um, The program is designed for women. But we do see guys in there occasionally. Um, We've got a variety of class styles and formats. um, Everything from your traditional bar to strength training to cardio kickboxing to hit classes to boot camp. Cool. Super fun fitness studio.
0: Yeah, nice. Great locations. Yes. Okay, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about the advantage of having a law degree in this business. I mean, to me... That's a huge advantage. It's something that I would lead with if I had that education. So let's talk maybe back and forth a little bit about let's start with contractually like how does that change the way you look at a contract and advise your client
1: yeah, I think the level of detail that you understand as a lawyer just going through law school and and practicing. Is something that you just can't get unless you've been to law school. They teach you to analyze, like I said, every single word and every single paragraph and understand the meaning and what is the risk. So even when we're adding language to an addendum, you know, that language is very thoughtful. And, you know, I think also identifying less, I mean, and we are all using the same forms, you know, they're negotiated by the state because they're fair to both sides. But within that form, you're able to kind of identify the Contract provisions that you can get creative with and and use to your client's advantage, and yeah, I I think it's a huge advantage.
2: Definitely agree. And one of the things I think you said that you would lead with it, lead with it, yes, but qualify it in that like I'm not practicing law on your behalf, and like I'm not representing you as your lawyer, Mm -hmm. but at least I can understand what this sentence means and I can translate this for you. Like for us, reading contracts. For a lot of people, it's like reading another language. For us, it's just like reading. So I think the biggest skill for us, too, is being able to explain it in plain English or like, this is what this means and this is how it affects you. Or like, here are the potential consequences. And to be able to clearly communicate that to your clients, I think, is such an advantage. Mm-hmm.
1: I always tell my clients that I can't unlearn what I know as a lawyer even right. though I'm not your lawyer <laughs> and I'm not practicing law as when I'm your broker and your realtor, but I can't unlearn it and if there's an issue, I'll spot it and we'll get you the legal assistance that you need.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I would say because we're a title company driven state, we don't get a lot of contracts marked up from attorneys. But when we do, which is I'll maybe a couple a year, attorneys that are representing buyers tend to cross out designated agency and pick multiple representation, which I don't necessarily agree with, um, but just curious if either of you have a take on that.
1: I haven't personally seen that. So what I just switching gears a little bit what i do see is attorneys marking it up more than it needs to be yes. and mm-hmm. on my first personal home purchase i did that i had a rider that was like perfectly crafted mm-hmm. and all these additional terms that i thought needed to be in there and i think that that becomes a little off putting and and difficult you know for the other side who's not used to seeing something like that i will say on the higher end you know that's a little bit more acceptable you know people expect that a little bit more but that's kind of where
2: i've seen the the legal Piece of this come into play, Mm -hmm. and having lots of law school friends, Mm -hmm. so I have a lot of clients and friends who are attorneys. Trying to explain to them that like this is a form contract, and yes, you can like you can cross things out and you can manipulate it, but like you can't just wholesale. I mean, you Mm -hmm. could, but like. That would not necessarily be your best move to just like draft pages and pages like you did your rider. Mm-hmm. That will be off putting. Mm-hmm. And they just, it takes a long time for them to understand that.
0: For sure. I would say, on the seller side, the most common thing that we would see from an attorney, which I think makes sense, is that they'll strike the language saying, We as agents get paid. When we bring a ready, willing, and able buyer as opposed to it closing, like I think, I honestly think we should get paid at closing, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're here to help people, we're here to help them transact. If they don't transact, I've never pursued.
1: Right. I strike that in my listing contracts.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you just go ahead and do it proactively as the right thing to do?
1: I don't envision myself suing someone if they had an accepted offer and they
2: didn't close in their house. I mean, that's just not how I practice, and I think a lot of people do And I don't think, I mean, have you seen any instances in which it's been?
0: I know of one agent in town that is, let's say, more combative than most that has pursued some of those. Um, I don't know. I think we all should play the long game. Yeah. Um, You know, I think of, I had a client that was in his mid-80s, and we had a, an accepted offer was pending, and he just called me one day and started crying and said, "I'm just not ready. I just can't do this. This is too much for me and my life right now." We called the other side. They weren't thrilled but understood. And what am I going to send them a bill? Yeah. right. So he eventually sold, and you know, we've, as you would expect, because of that, receive referrals. Sure. Because yeah, we I think did the right thing.
1: preserving that relationship is more important, more important than, than pursuing that commission at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there a common mistake that you see people make that with your background you say boy like that's that's a mistake?
2: Not reading anything.
0: Right. I mean <laughs> nobody a lot reads of that. anything. I know.
1: Yeah I had yeah I think not reading everything fully and you know not looking at the addendums and knowing you know that there's additional what provisions the in there. And so I always after that happened you know, they didn't know that a certain provision was in there that was pretty critical Um, because it was in an addendum. I, I call that out in a cover email usually and say like, hey, watch for this, this, and this. And
2: that's definitely taught me to like, just because I've read it and I know it doesn't mean that they're going to pick up because it's such a, you know, all the contracts are so long and dense. So I'll always call them and go over every single, especially like with buyers on your first offer, like, here's what this means, here's what that means, and mm-hmm. go over every single thing so that they're informed and they're not just signing away. Yeah, yeah
1: especially at the height of the market when frenzy so fast. when there were so many offers on the table and to have you know a great provision that you had that might not get read because it wasn't read fully, that was important to me to, to call that up.
0: Thank God we're starting to see no inspections go away. Don't you think that's going to be yeah. a cottage industry of – people hiring attorneys and litigating their defects?
1: I think it might be, yeah. I've I've already seen some Facebook posts just, you know, kind of asking for referrals for attorneys for something like that. And, yeah, I think some people may have gotten into into difficult situations and, and hopefully not.
0: How do you advise a client that wants to proceed without an inspection? What is that conversation like?
1: So I think also in law school we're taught um, about the risk-benefit analysis and, you know, it's always a balance in, in the legal field. You know, what's the risk and can we balance that with what we want to do and that tension always. Um, so I think it's just just counseling them on it and um, I do put it in writing in my contracts personally just to, you know, explain and, and then get the
2: confirmation. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I think just making them aware of all of the potential risk. Um, But then also of the benefit, like in the market that we were in in spring, so many people wrote without inspections. And I think if you didn't, you had to understand that you might not get the house. And if you're a buyer who, like, it's not worth it to you to miss out on the house because you're waiving inspection, then... Mm Yeah, it's You'd also
1: kind of a financing piece too. You know, if there's a fifty thousand dollar problem, can you fix it? If there's a right. one hundred thousand dollar problem, can you fix it? And if the answer is yes, then maybe they take that risk on themselves and are willing to build that into the deal.
0: Yeah. I, I in in the simplest terms, if I think about like myself, I've bought a number of homes we all have. Like Rick in his twenties couldn't have had a five or ten thousand dollar curveball come mm-hmm. my way. Absolutely. Rick in my 50s certainly can. So I think part of it, too, is the profile, right. which you basically And you said. can
2: sort of, Rick in your 50s can anticipate what those curveballs might be a little bit better than Rick in your 20s.
0: Good point. Great point.
1: Uh, the other thing that Betsy and I Um, touched on when we met recently is um, just how highly regulated this industry is. I think on a day-to-day practice level, it's even more regulated than the law practice. So Mm. you've got Wisconsin statutes, Wisconsin administrative code, you've got NAR rules and um, Metro MLS rules, which are crazy, serious, (laughs) like it's serious stuff. You can get fined like um, thousands of dollars a day. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we both talked about how we're kind of obsessed with compliance and, you know, she's got a compliance department and I call the hotline from for WRA sometimes. The yeah, they hear from me a Do lot. Do they
0: answer now? Hi, Lindsay. Yeah, hey, Lindsay. <laughs> right. um,
1: you know, just to kind of like clear up any ambiguity and it's for a good reason. I mean, we are working with consumers. It's a lot of money. It needs to be fair. It needs to be honest and clear for them. Um, but it's, it is a highly regulated industry. So I think having that understanding... Um, as a lawyer, helps as well.
2: As opposed to just kind of flying by the seat of your pants and hoping you don't do anything wrong. Well, yeah,
1: and coming from a highly regulated profession, we kind of understand that that issue.
0: So when I look at the industry that you um, initially pursued, Betsy scene that you're still in, Lindsay, um, versus single family and condo real estate sales, there was a kind of... A um, high bar set, no pun intended, to become (laughs) an attorney. um, You know, there were barriers to entry. You had to be, you know, well above average academically. You had to commit in a couple of years, very expensive. Um, It's the opposite in this industry. I mean, most people with a limited amount of money and a limited amount of time um, can take the course, pass the course first, second, third time. And then they are realtors. Um, The reason why I bring this up is that it's looking like, as a nation, we will sell about 5 million homes this year instead of close to 7 million the last couple of years. Um, Last time we did that was 2012. Um, In 2012, there were 500,000 less agents than there are today. Um, put differently, the other thing I heard is that right now there are as many people studying for their realtor's license as there are practicing realtors. And we're headed into um, a an environment where it's clearly going to change. There aren't going to be as many transactions. So when we look at your past, when we look at your present, like what type of advice would you give? How are you preparing yourself and what type of advice would you give other agents, drawing upon your past experience? Does anyone want to take that easy question?
2: I think really just general life and career advice and having only been in this industry for a year and a half or so, um, but what I've learned from all of my other experience is really you just have to work your hardest, do your best, um, do what you know is right, Keep your head down. Don't get involved in any of the noise. Be fiercely loyal to your clients. um, And just make sure that you're representing yourself in the best way and the business will follow. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I think you want to add to that. Yeah. Maybe?
2: I
1: mean, I, I think it is a, it's a tough industry. It's saturated and, you know, it's an industry of no sometimes. And, um, almost everybody knows a real estate agent or has a family member or friend who's a real estate agent. So, you know, that, that part of it's difficult. And I think that, um, there's a niche though for, for different people. And, you know, depending on what you, you bring to the table to, to translate to that to your clients, I think is kind of the way to differentiate yourself. You know, for me, it's, it's the law piece and Betsy too. And I do market that, you know, as, is part of what makes me different from other people. And um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where, where things go from here.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about perception for a minute, because this always kind of interested me. So in your prior lives or your prior life, Betsy and part of your life, Lindsay, when you're at a cocktail party or you're at a wedding with a table of eight or 10 people, how different is the perception or the conversations that follow, et cetera, from saying I'm an attorney or I'm a realtor?
2: The conversations are a lot more fun when you say you're a realtor (laughs) Mm. because it's much more like interesting to people and something that everybody can talk about with you. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're like, yeah, I practice whatever contracts, people are like, oh, okay, like, do you have any kids? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. um, But when you say that you're a realtor, so many questions come after that. And it's something that I think pretty much everybody finds interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd kind of say the same thing that the people are really interested when I say that I'm a realtor. And they want to know about the market and it, it does affect everyone. Um, just personally for me, I, I feel like I had a little bit more credibility when I was saying that I was an attorney and, um, people were maybe deferring to me a little bit more in conversations or something like that. And, um, when I just say that I'm a realtor, um, Sometimes I don't get that from a conversation, but it depends on the crowd, and, and different people have different interests. And I usually follow up with, "I'm an attorney as well."
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I ask that question is that, as an industry, we kind of suffer from an image that yeah. isn't ideal. I think it maybe it goes back to the lack of barriers, right? Because like
2: anyone can be a realtor, not anyone can be an attorney. Mm-hmm. And you get people practicing real estate sometimes as a
1: as a last resort versus leaving a successful business or a successful law practice to pursue a passion, which is I think what both you and I did and what you did, Rick. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that some people just don't realize.
0: Right. That it's easy to sell a house, but it's hard to sell multiple houses, multiple clients. And build the relationships. Yeah.
1: And build that repeat business Mm -hmm. at a higher level.
0: And you clearly both bring a level of professionalism that was cultivated through your whole kind of academic and working career.
1: Yeah, I th- I think so and um you know I kind of went a different route and and started my own brokerage which I wanted to do to kind of bring that that feeling of what I wanted to see in a real estate agent and um just kind of make it personal to to myself.
0: Um what about family pushback, right? Because it was a big commitment and everyone's thrilled to say my daughters an attorney. Um, was there family pushback when you said you wanted to pursue this?
1: I I had some family questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My parents are, you know, super supportive, but, you know, it was like, really? Why you're a lawyer? Why do you want to be a realtor? And um, I did have some of those questions and I've had that kind of from every, every piece of my life.
0: What's your answer?
1: So my, my answer is that it's my passion. Hmm. So um, I was kind of telling Betsy that I was I was working from home since 2014, which was great because I had little kids and um, I was doing deals kind of all over the country. My clients weren't in Wisconsin, so I had kind of a national practice. And um, But I was missing that like local connection and the personal connection. So for me, being out and about and helping people, I mean, there's nothing more personal than where people lay their head at night or the roof they put over their kids' heads. Um, and you kind of I think you go through something with people when you help them on these transactions. So, you know, that personal piece um, kind of fit in for me and then kind of using my my law background and skills, combining those two things just kind of made it all click for me. And when I explain that to people and it takes a little while, it's not like, you know, you kind of have to get get through everything. But when I explain that, then I think people understand. And and then, you know, the entrepreneurial piece of this that you touched on and, and just kind of building something, you know, for myself. And I just did a deal with kind of a family run real estate business. So, you know, it was the dad and son and the daughter was the closer. And um, I just thought, gosh, I hope my kids will you know, pra- be practicing real estate with me someday and we'll want to get into this and I'll have a successful, you know,
2: long, long-term long business like that.
0: Did you get any pushback? pushback?
2: I got more pushback when I decided to go to law school. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, um, because they, I, they knew me better than I knew myself mm. um, and knew that I probably wouldn't want to practice law. But leaving a job at a law firm in Chicago to open a fitness studio in Milwaukee, supportive, but then kind of like, all right, think about what you're doing. Ultimately, it went well and I was that was my passion at that point in my life, but it had always been my plan to go into real estate. Um always been a dream of mine. And so when I started studying for the real estate exam during um COVID, it was very, very much supported by my family Mm and friends.
0: It does help, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think we both started right during COVID. Mm -hmm. Like I incorporated in February 2020 and then immediately everything was shut down and it was kind of a strange time to to enter into the market as realtors.
0: But what a great run we all had for a couple of years. Wow, right? Yeah,
1: very exciting. mm
0: Mm-hmm. So, how are you preparing for what's coming? None of us really know, but what are you doing differently than you were doing in 2020, 2021?
2: I didn't start until 2021. So, can't speak to 2020. Um, but I think just we're in the market every day. And so we're feeling the change every day. And I think just having the conversations with your sellers and your buyers about, what's going on in the market and trying to be that resource for them. Um, Because, I mean, yeah, we don't really know what's going on, but we have an idea and we can at least try to help manage expectations. Right. Yeah,
1: I think just keeping a really close eye on the market right now because it's really in flux right now, I think. And, um, you know, watching for, for the sales and the pricing, I think that's kind of a big big thing right now is to to get the pricing right because it was different, you know, people were pricing differently in like a month ago, the frenzy 2 months ago. Yeah. So I think keeping an eye on that is kind of what I'm doing and then what I ultimately try to do is just do the absolute best job for for clients and um, you know, perpetuate that from deal to deal and and keep that momentum going.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think if you look back at the last couple of years, We've all been so busy that we've been more reactive, and I think those that will continue to prosper will be proactive. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, right now the phone isn't ringing on my end, it's ringing on my client's end. Hey, how you doing? How are the kids doing? How's the house? Do you need any contractor recommendations? You know, how long do you think this is going to work for you? Like Those conversations, I think that's going to be key for all of us Mm -hmm. heading into the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So are you glad you made the move? I mean, was this, looking back now, Is it was this the right thing for both of you?
1: Absolutely. It was for me, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. There'll be a time where you two are competing over, either on the opposite side of a deal or competing sure. over the same...
2: Hopefully we'll be on, like, the same deal. Yeah, i love together. to do <laughs> a deal with Patsy, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think you'd both be wonderful to... I mean, you're both wonderful to work with. I shouldn't say you would be. You're both wonderful to work with. You add a level of professionalism and credibility, um, and honesty and integrity to our business. I mean, I wish there were more people in the industry like the two of you. It's kind of a delight for me personally to be able to speak to both of you and see how your paths have been fairly similar and how you've kind of crossed paths throughout life. Um, so, Thank you. Yeah, That's
1: nice. Um, I I mean, the feeling's mutual. I, you've been so um, collaborative and supportive and generous with your wisdom, and you know, I've called you up and and bounced ideas off of you, and um, I want to take a piece of that what you've done and and kind of pay, pay that five. forward. And um, I think if you know if everybody was like that in the industry, it would be you know even greater than it
0: already is. Thank you. And you know what? We're all on the same team, right? Like. None of us can do this alone, and we get too caught up in our own little bubbles, but we all need one another and I'm a firm believer in the fact that if you're generous and you give, it comes back in ways you don't expect, right It just does, and you know I learn as much as I teach with with everybody, and um I don't know, it just makes our days better, right, and the Definitely. deals yeah, agree.
2: No, I just would reiterate what Lindsay said and thank you for being so generous with your time and your experience and just sharing with everyone. It's so nice and refreshing. I was certainly like intimidated when I first talked to you and like terrified. I was like, (laughs) I have to call Rick Rubin. Um, I heard he has a listing and I know my buyer's going to like it. And I was like sweating thinking about calling you, but. It's been such such a wonderful time getting to know you.
0: Yeah, and there's there's just way too much ego in this business, right? And let's face it, I mean, we're realtors, right? So, I just think if you take the ego out of the business and you put your clients first and you treat everybody like friends, everybody becomes friends and deals get done. So, cool. Well, this was fun. So, I'd like to give a shout out to Podcast Town Studios, our producer. No sleep for creating the music. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you believe that you or someone you know would be an ideal guest and would talk about not what they've done, but really who they are, why don't you reach out to me? I'm the easiest guy in the world to get a hold of. Thank you. you.